This podcast is made possible by thousands of dedicated listeners just like you. Be a part of this powerful three-decade legacy of evangelization by visiting materdayradio.com or downloading the Hail Mary Media app. And thank you for joining us on the bridge between your faith and everyday life. Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Speaking to his flock in the Archdiocese of Portland in Oregon, we join Archbishop Alexander Sample as he reflects upon our faith, culture, and life in the church on The Voice of the Shepherd. Joining Archbishop Sample is your host, Dina Marie Hale. And now, The Voice of the Shepherd. Greetings and welcome to The Voice of the Shepherd with His Excellency, Archbishop Alexander Sample. Today we're going to focus on 2024 and the Eucharistic Revival. And as we have um, entered into the new year, really an Advent, the message from our priests, Archbishop, really from your heart was to really focus on the Eucharist Mm -hmm. and the presence of the Eucharist. And I thought we could begin with hearing a little bit from your perspective on those four weeks of Advent leading us into this Eucharistic Revival. So as we focus on Jesus, his presence in our lives and his true presence of the Eucharist, would you help us open leading us in prayer? Yes, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Mm -hmm. Heavenly Father, you have given us your Son, Jesus, sent into the world so that we who believe in him and follow him would never perish, but would have the gift of eternal life. Lord, Father, you give us your Son always in the Holy Eucharist. He is already with us, Emmanuel, God with us. Help us to come to a deeper love and appreciation for that great gift of the sacrament of the altar in which your Son gives us his own body, blood, soul, and divinity. Be with our listeners, and may this broadcast inspire in them a deeper and greater love for you and for the gift of your Son in the Eucharist. And all this we ask through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. Mary, conceive without sin. Pray for us who have recourse to Thee. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Let's just go back to those four weeks of Advent, and you really wanted to have just a slow unpacking (laughs) week by week of really that Eucharist, but I think how how appropriate for the Incarnation, Mm -hmm. Christ becomes present to us to really be able to, on a week-by-week basis for our priests, to help unpack that for people as they start to reflect on what's the meaning of the Advent season? What am I preparing for when we celebrate the birth of Christ? What was your experience over some of those weeks of Advent with that Eucharistic message? Right. I I had asked, you know, and this is actually, if I can put the preaching that I requested our our priests to do within within a a broader context, um, you know, we're, we're in this time of Eucharistic revival in the church, the U.S. bishops realizing Quite honestly, I think you can call it fairly a crisis of faith uh, in the in the in the in the Eucharist, in the presence of Christ in the Eucharist, especially among our Catholic people. Even that the bishops have called for this Eucharistic revival, and as I've looked thought about it here locally in the Archdiocese of Portland, uh, you know we haven't been real um, overly programmatic, if you will, in in projects or things. Uh, a lot of parishes are doing a, a lot of wonderful things, but on an archdiocesan level. You know, we, we haven't really done anything um, grand or programmatic, but what my, my vision for it in this time of Eucharistic revival is really, you know, um, three threefold. Number one, 
is understanding the Eucharist. So in other words, there has to be serious teaching and catechesis and a deeper, uh, really just coming to an understanding of what it is that we believe about the Holy Eucharist. So that's that's one piece is we just need good catechesis. We need good formation in, in, in our faith and belief in the Eucharist. Secondly, our Eucharistic practice, our worship, how we celebrate mm-hmm. the sacred liturgy, and we can you know, maybe talk about that uh, in a minute. And then third, living this mystery that we celebrate, living the Eucharist. It isn't enough to just understand what the Eucharist is. It isn't enough just to celebrate it well and beautifully and reverently. Then it has to impact how we live our life. So we have to go out from the celebration of the Eucharist to bear witness to to what we have just celebrated in that in that great mystery. And so I think those are three the three areas, if you will, of of revival and renewal that I would like to see certainly here in the Archdiocese of Portland. So on that first piece of a, of a good sort of catechesis on the Eucharist, a good deepening understanding of what it is we believe about the true presence of Jesus Christ in the Eucharist, I asked all of the priests and deacons who would be preaching perhaps also during Advent to preach on the theme of the Most Holy Eucharist. So, like I did last year, I asked them to preach on the Kerygma. I asked them to take the four Sundays of Advent and to preach on the Kerygma. You know, and then I gave them those four words, you know, created, captured, rescue, and, and response. Uh, because if we're preparing for the birth of Christ, let's yeah. let's understand, well, why did he come in the first place? He came to free us, to rescue us, you know, from from sin and death and from the enemy. So this year, I said, well, okay, as, as, as part of our Eucharistic revival, let's all collectively together preach on the Holy Eucharist. Let's teach our people again what it is we believe about the gift of the Most Holy Eucharist. And as you said well in your introductory remarks, it's again a very appropriate because we're, we're getting ready to celebrate the birth of Christ. We're, getting, we're celebrating his coming. Uh, we, are, we are celebrating the incarnation, that the eternal Word, the eternal Son of God, took flesh in the womb of the Virgin Mary. Well, what greater theme to think about as we prepare for Christmas than how Jesus comes to us already, mm-hmm. uh, incarnate even, in the gift of the Holy Eucharist? Uh, he's just as present. And I, and I said this uh, you know, to, in, in one of my uh, preachings on this, that Jesus Christ is just as present in the Eucharist on the altar as he was in the manger uh, in Bethlehem the, the, the day that he was born. Uh, and that's true. I mean, it's a different mode of presence, but it's it's no less a real presence uh, of Christ. So I asked the the, the pastors uh, and the deacons and other priests preaching to to preach on on the Eucharist. And we gave them uh, an outline. Really, we gave, and, and I'm so grateful to uh, Monsignor John Syak, who is our director of continuing education for the clergy, and Monsignor uh, Gerard O'Connor, our, our director of the Office of Divine Worship and the rector of our cathedral, to prepare some some ideas and homilies and outlines and I just teachings and just throw some things out there you put some give some fodder for reflection you know and so they divided the four Sundays uh, into four themes uh, to preach on uh, with with a lot of good material I mean you could you could pretty much just preach what's there on the paper or you can just take bits and pieces of it and craft your own message around those those essential themes and, and it's just what I did. 
um, because I was I was fortunate enough to uh, be uh, on the road, so to speak, uh, in, in the archdiocese for three of the four Sundays of Advent. So I personally preached on in, in my first homily. I preached on. You know what is it that we believe about the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist, and this is a this is a real point of 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 really crisis of faith. You know, and so many people somehow have not gotten the message, if you will, that Jesus Christ is truly, substantially, really present, body, blood, soul, and divinity in the Eucharist, and it's not just a symbol, and it's not it's just not a sentimental remembrance of the Last Supper. Jesus Christ is truly present. That's why we genuflect. That's why the priest genuflects every, after every consecration. He genuflects before his Lord. But also then, what is it, the Mass then? The Mass is the representation of the once-for-all sacrifice of Calvary in which Jesus, in the person of the priest, offers his body and blood, soul and divinity in the Eucharist once again to the Father in reparation for our sins and for the salvation of the world. So, you know, that was kind of the first thing. The second, the second uh, uh, Sunday, which was the third Sunday of Advent that I was able to preach, I preached on, on the theme of, well, what are the, what are the um, effects of Holy Communion in us? When we receive the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ, what, it, what spiritual effect does that have in my life? Mm-hmm. What, what does that do to me? Uh, on, on the level of my very being. And then the fourth Sunday of Advent, my, my personal third message on this was, okay, now how do we live this reality? How do we, how do we take what we've celebrated here and go out in, into the world and, and bear witness to, to what this mystery we have celebrated? So I'm hoping, uh, uh, at least those uh, listening to us within the Archdiocese of Portland, uh, I hope that you receive these messages during the Advent season, uh, as I'd ask the priests and deacons to do, uh, to bring this message. And that's just that—that's just that—that's just one serious stab, if you will, at getting to that catechetical, uh, really formational uh, experience as part of Eucharistic revival. We Catholics have got to get back to understanding clearly what it is the Church teaches, what Jesus Himself taught us about the Eucharist. You know, and I. I, I was having a conversation with a young fellow uh, some weeks ago about, you know, he's, he's a little struggling a little bit as to where he belongs in, in, in church, whether, you know, it's, it's in his Catholic church of his youth or whether it's in a, a church uh, that maybe he finds a little bit more exciting, uh, if you will, in terms of its style of worship and that. And, and, you know, I'm focusing back on the Eucharist. And, you know, I said, well, just, just read prayerfully and meditatively the sixth chapter of John's Gospel, the Bread of Life Discourse. Jesus says to us, you know, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. But whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him on the last day, for my flesh is real food, my blood is real drink. You know, I mean, it's, it's, it's him, it's Jesus teaching us, and we've got to get back to this so we can understand clearly. So that was the attempt here during Advent was to, to take a real serious effort at recatechizing, reeducating our people as to what we believe about the Eucharist. Right. And I think for those of us listening, it's to take that message. And as you say, one of the priorities is that teaching and understanding. So maybe just a couple of things that I can do at home, I can do with my family, as I want to continue to grow deeper in my understanding of the Holy Eucharist. Uh, You mentioned John chapter 6. I mean, some of those tools whether it's scripture, whether it's the catechism, but what are some things you might say, okay, in 2024, folks, how can I deepen my understanding of 
the teachings of the church. Well, there's so many great resources out there. I mean, of course, the scriptures are the primary yeah. resource. As I said, you know, it's, it's interesting. I, I think most uh, Catholics who have at least some serious knowledge of scripture and the Bible realize that, you know, in, in St. John's Gospel, we don't have uh, the institution narrative at the Last Supper. Yeah. It's interesting. And, you know, John's Gospel was the, the last to be written. And is really, quite honestly, the more theologically developed one uh, of the Gospels. The, the other three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, this is what we call the Synoptic Gospels, they all have an institution narrative. When I say by institution narrative, I mean the story of how Jesus at the Last Supper gave us his body and blood in the Eucharist. This is my body, this is my blood, where he instituted the Eucharist and instituted the priesthood by telling the, the apostles to do this in, in remembrance of him. But John's gospel, you know, gives us, uh, doesn't give us at the Last Supper the story of the institution of the Eucharist. Instead, you know, he gives us the great high priestly prayer at, at the Last Supper. But his teaching, St. John's gospel, gives us teaching on the Eucharist in that sixth chapter. But it's, it's no less clear. In fact, you know, it's, it's the theology is much more developed in John's gospel around the Eucharist, even though he doesn't give us the institution narrative. But we look then into the Acts of the Apostles and we see the early church already celebrating the Eucharist. In the, in the time of the apostles themselves, the church is already celebrating the Eucharist according to the Lord's command. Do this in remembrance of me. St. Paul speaks himself about uh, the, the, the Eucharist, discerning the body and blood of the Lord as we receive him in communion. Whoever receives unworthily drinks condemnation unto himself, he says. So clearly, Right from the beginning, there's so much richness there to, to be looking at Eucharistic themes in the scriptures. But also, you know, the catechism of the Catholic Church, you mentioned it, whether that's the adult catechism for U.S. Catholics or whether it's the full catechism of the Catholic Church. My gosh, there is so much rich material there for you to take in, to read, to understand, and then be able to translate that, if you will, for your own family, for your own children, to hand on this gift. You know, we should be talking about the Eucharist in our homes, in our families. You know, and I, I sadly, and, I, and I, I say this, you know, I, you know I'm, in my growing up years, you know, we didn't, sadly, we didn't talk about this kind of stuff at home. You know, we didn't have discussions about the faith. We didn't have discussions about the Eucharist or the sacraments. I mean, we were good, solid, practicing, go to church every Sunday Catholics. Don't get me wrong. You know, the, our home, my home growing up was not a rich environment of formation in, in the faith. We just It just was a different era and a different time. And my parents' experience was different growing up. Uh, for for them to have shared that with us, but we can't we can't afford that anymore. Mm-hmm. Families, listen to me out there, you parents and grandparents and aunts and uncles mm-hmm. and godparents, yeah. padrinos, you know you have to step up and take responsibility for helping hand on the faith to the next generation, which means you need to be informed, you need to be formed, you need to be educated, you need to brush up on your own catechesis. And there's no better place to do that than the catechism of the Catholic Church. In fact, in these homily materials that I'm talking about, prepared by Monsignors Syak and, and O'Connor, lots of references to, to the catechism of the Catholic Church. There's so much there. And anything you really want to understand about what the Church teaches about the Eucharist is right there. Mm-hmm. And it's understandable. It's readable. It's not, you know, high, high, high theology that you can't comprehend. It's right there. Uh, another uh, just recommendation I have in looking for resources to, to understand the Eucharist more deeply so that you can share that belief with others 
not just in your family, but coworkers, neighbors, friends, is 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 you know, and I, I I'm not being paid to give this advertisement. Is is the 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 website uh, for Catholic Answers, mm-hmm. uh, which is it's easy to remember, folks. I don't know how they got this this domain name. It's just Catholic.com. Yeah. So it's easy to remember. <laughs> Catholic.com takes you to Catholic Answers website, which has you type in any question, mm-hmm. real presence, sacrifice of the Mass, priesthood. Uh, effects of the Eucharist, anything, the Mass, and you'll get article after article after article on on the teachings on the Eucharist. That'll take you right back to the early Church Fathers and what they taught about the Eucharist, to Scripture, uh, to great theologians throughout the history of the Church. It's all there. Uh, so I, I would certainly recommend that that as a resource. And then, of course, then there's all kinds of video series and things that are available out there. The Augustine Institute, you know, has got so many wonderful things. Ascension Press, you know, I could go on and on. You know, there, there's, there's, there's no shortage of material of good, solid, orthodox, faithful, uh, beautiful teaching on, on the Eucharist that's out there for us. And I just, we just, we've got to do this. I mean, the Church teaches us and the Church taught us at the Second Vatican Council, reemphasized for us that the, that the Eucharist is the source and the summit of the Church's life. St. John Paul II wrote his last encyclical on the Eucharist, Ecclesia Dei Eucharistia. The Church draws her life from the Eucharist. This is the heart beat, the heart of our faith, and that we, we've, we've got to understand this uh, on, on a deeper level as Catholics. Yeah. As we build and foster and nurture this awareness, uh, this love of the, the Holy Eucharist, then the other two... F- the other two areas you mentioned are really about the heart. You're, first, we're starting to talk about our mind, mm-hmm. our intellect. What do I understand? But then how do I worship? Mm-hmm. How does that change when I come into the real presence and I prepare myself? That should change the way I engage in worship. You know, the, the, I, I had a priest said recently, and I just was struck by his comment. Because in, in that encyclical that I mentioned— of John Paul II, his Saint John Paul II, his last encyclical, he said that he wished to reawaken in the church a Eucharistic amazement. Mm. And I heard a priest recently say, and I just as he captured it very well, one of our priests, I was very proud of him, said, "We need to realize we come to mass not to be entertained, but to be amazed. We come to be amazed, not entertained." And, and so how we celebrate the, the, the Mass, how we celebrate the sacred liturgy expresses what we believe about what we're doing. And I'm, I'm afraid, I just have to say it, I just I feel like, like we Catholics in so many places have fallen into this, this way of worship that, that focuses so much on, and I don't want to call it so much the entertainment value, but, you know, the, the warm fuzzies, you know, do, do, does it give me a good feeling? You know, so is the music great, and can I sing along and, and get a, you know, a, like a pumped-up experience that, that you know, kind of gives me a, a, like a little spiritual high? It's not about me. It's about God. It's about divine worship. We're there to worship God. Plain and simple, folks. Mm-hmm. The sacred liturgy is for two purposes, to offer divine worship, to offer worship to God, and to be sanctified as, as his faithful sons and daughters. So that's what, and, and that's, again, that's what the church teaches us. That's what Second Vatican Council taught us. We come to Mass, number one, and first and foremost, to give worship to God. 
This is about our duty to worship the God who created us, who loves us, and who calls us to eternity with himself. Secondly, we come to Mass to be sanctified by the mystery that we celebrate, to be made holy, to truly be made holy by the sacramental grace that is there present in the Eucharist, in God's Word being proclaimed, hopefully, hopefully in a good homily, but then above all in the Eucharistic celebration, the sacrifice of the Mass, in which we receive the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ from his sacrifice uh, for our salvation. We, we are sanctified, made holy. We are, we're being formed into the mystery that we celebrate. So everything we celebrate in the Mass should express what we're doing there. You know, we have this principle in the church, lex orandi, lex credendi. The law of praying is the law of believing. What does that mean? That means that how I worship is meant to express what I believe about what I'm doing, what this is about. And what I believe then influences how I worship. And how I worship influences what it reinforces my belief. It's like this, it's this wonderful mm-hmm. circle that continues to grow. So as I come to the Mass and I understand what I'm doing here, I bring myself, I bring my faith to this, and so I worship in a certain way, understanding what the reality is before me. But then as I experience the worship, as I experience the prayer expressed in a certain way, it further forms my belief and my faith. It strengthens my faith. So it's this beautiful reality then the Eucharist. And I just, you know, I keep beating this drum ever since I've been a priest, actually, and certainly since being a bishop and certainly since being the archbishop here. We, we, we have to step it up, folks. <laughs> I, I hate to put it that way, but we have to step up our, our worship. It has to be, truly become something that is beautiful, reverent, prayerful, awesome. It should, it should inspire amazement in us at the mystery that we celebrate, and it's simply Christ's beautiful, loving presence among us in, in the Eucharist as he offers himself again through the hands of the priest in, in, in sacrifice for our, our salvation, and we are nourished um, by, by the gift of the Eucharist. So our, our worship has got to become—we should give all of the attention and care and effort uh, that we can and, and put that into our celebration of Mass. It should be the highlight of our week. Mm-hmm. And it is the beginning of our week. And as you mentioned, you know, what we believe leads us into how we worship. And then that that third component, how do I live it out? You know, that's the fruit. It's either the fruit, it's either living fruit or it's or it's not. Are we going to believe and grow with a vitality and a love? Or, or something's missing. Yeah, no, we, 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 and we Catholics especially, we're just not very good at this. And I, you know, we just have to be honest about it. We're not very good at, at sharing our faith with the wider world around us. You know, we, you know, faith, I've, I've, I can think of many people over the years have said to me, well, you know, my faith is a per- very private thing, you know, and da, 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 da. No, it's not meant to be a private thing. Jesus didn't tell us to, to, to believe and then keep it to ourselves. He said, go, make disciples yeah. of the nations, you know, proclaim this good news. The kingdom of God is at hand. Go. Uh, I love the fact that, that Pope uh, Benedict XVI, when he was Holy Father, added those new dismissals at Mass that, that speak to this reality. You know, it used to be ite, misa est in Latin. Was it only who had one? Go in peace. It is ended. The Mass is ended. Go in peace. Uh, and uh, now there were some other options that were in English provided there, but the Pope Pope Benedict introduced whole new dismissals in, in the original uh, text, uh, uh, Latin of the Mass. You know, things like we hear sometimes, go. 
and, you know, proclaim the gospel. Go in peace, glorifying the Lord by your life. In other words, we are sent, ite, misa est, ite, go. You're being sent forth. In other words, you don't keep the faith and you don't keep the experience within the walls of the church. What happens in the walls of the church is, 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 is supremely important. But what we do when we walk out the door of the church is just as important in, in witnessing to what we have just celebrated, in proclaiming the gospel to the world, in being the light that shines in the darkness, of being that leaven in the world, that, that, uh, that image that Jesus gives us in the parable of the yeast, the mustard seed, you know, planted in the word, world that grows into the, into the great shrub. In other words, we are meant to impact the world by our faith and to witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ, to imitate the mystery we have just celebrated. What is the mystery we have just celebrated? Jesus Christ offering himself in sacrifice for our salvation. He laid down his life for us. He said himself, the Son of Man has not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for the many. That's what happens in the Eucharist. Jesus lays down his life for us. And we now must go forth and lay down our lives for each other. It's the living of the great commandment, to love the Lord our God with our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's what we do when we come together for divine worship. And we go forth, we love our neighbor as ourself. We continue, of course, to love God and pray. But, but now when we go out the doors of the church, now it comes time to live that second part of the great commandment, to imitate the laying down of Jesus' life for us as we lay down our lives for each other. Husbands and wives should be laying down their lives for each other. We need to, all of us, priests, bishops, everybody, get over our own self-absorption, our own selfishness, our own self-will, our own desire to be comfortable and to be, you know, have our satisfactions and needs met and to be concerned about the other. Spouses laying down their lives for each other, priests laying down their lives for their congregations, um, parents laying down their lives for their children, even being willing to lay down your life for your coworkers and whoever, to really be selfless as Jesus was selfless and concerned always for us and our salvation. We've, we, we have to live the mystery we celebrate. We have to have a special love for the poor and the abandoned, and the lost, and the marginalized, and those that are forgotten, and lonely, and, and name any category of suffer, human suffering. We're especially called to minister from the Eucharist to those needs. You know, this is a great thing of Mother Teresa. You know, her sisters spend, you know, holy hour in prayer every morning as, before they go out to, get, to minister to others. I heard a story recently where one of the sisters came to Mother Teresa and said, oh, Mother, there's so much work to do. There's so many people in need. We really can't take the time anymore for this holy hour every morning. We got to get out there and start helping people. And Mother Teresa's response was, hmm, okay. From now on, we'll spend two hours in prayer. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so it's, it's like from our prayer, from our Eucharistic adoration, from our celebration of the Eucharist, we go forth. Uh, to minister to the love of Jesus to the world that, that is hurting and wounded in so many ways. Yeah. Well, let's continue that Eucharistic revival. One way you can do that every day, daily Mass, spend some time in that Adoration Chapel, and then go out. Just like our seminarian Zach last week was talking about, he just walked mm -hmm. the streets and engaged people with his eyes and a smile filled with prayer. And God works. Amen. God works in all of that. With that, Archbishop, would you help us close yes. with your blessing? May the blessing of Almighty God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit come down upon all of you, your families and loved ones, and be with you this day and forever. Amen. Amen. 
And as always, we want to thank you for joining us on this episode of The Voice of the Shepherd. For Archbishop Alexander Sample, I'm Dina Marie Hale. Until our next encounter, may God bless you. You've been listening to The Voice of the Shepherd with Archbishop Alexander Sample, a production of the Archdiocese of Portland in Oregon. To subscribe to this podcast and access to all of our past shows, visit moderndayradio.com. Please email your comments and questions for the show to info at archdpdx.org. Learn more about the Archdiocese of Portland in Oregon online at archdpdx.org. Peace be with you. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider sharing it with a friend. You can support this vital mission of evangelization through materdayradio.com or the Hail Mary Media app. And thank you for helping us lead souls to Jesus through the Blessed Virgin Mary.